0: Welcome to the Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. Glory to God, He is here with us today. I hope you've sent that at home. Uh, this is a special time to be together. Is it working? Can you hear me right? Um, Okay, Uh, hello to everyone, it's good to see you. I, uh, I want to just say I'm absolutely thrilled to see how God is still, after all these years, connecting us with uh, mission partners, church planters, uh, people in different nations. That's part of the DNA of this church family. It has been for 50, 60, whatever years, and it's still going forward. God's still opening doors and making links for us uh, in the name of Jesus. That's just great, David. Great to hear that um, report. Amen? Amen. Um, I also want to give a report. I've had a really full week. Um, I turned 28 this week, um, so um, so th- thanks thanks for all the birthday uh, presents, the cards, the flowers. Um, so there was a long queue up the drive. Everyone wanted to drop off presents. Thank you so much. I no, just anyway. There was, uh, but also this week, uh, I uh, just got back last night from a three-day conference. Um, with uh, the ministers in training within our denomination, which is Assemblies of God. And I thought you'd like to see a little video clip. Um, this is the current cohort um, of ministers in training within Assemblies of God. There were 180 leaders currently in the process of training to plant churches um, and to lead churches with coaches. And uh, and we've got a group that are kind of graduating. Uh, this was their last forum. And uh, I'm the head coach for C24. There's about 50 in my group. So in amongst there is about 50 of the people that I've been helping uh, with a team of coaches to develop them and prepare them over a three-year period. Um, And they'll get their ministerial accreditation next spring. And you know, so we've had 30 going out this year. There are 70 coming in the following cohort. Um, So soon the minister's conference, kind of the minister in training conference, is going to have over 230 people in it uh, that are training to plant church. And they're people of many different nations and backgrounds and ages, men and women, all training to uh, serve the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Uh, So I just wanted to show you that. um, It's really awesome. Yeah, it is. God's good. Also this week, and actually even on my birthday, I was away uh, for a retreat, and this is uh, relevant to mention, uh, with the Evangelical Alliance, the board of the EA. Uh, You may have heard we've had speakers from there. We are, as a church, are members of Evangelical Alliance, and uh, every year we have uh, two days away on retreat. And the middle of that retreat, uh, somebody said something that I just wanted to share with you because I thought it was really helpful, particularly as we start in this series looking at the whole truth. Uh, We've not called the series A Whole Truth or A Partial Truth, Um, but actually the series is called The Whole Truth About Easter, and the reason it's not just the whole truth about Easter, but Easter is the whole truth about us as well. Uh, And so we're on this journey between now and the week after Easter Sunday where we're going to be exploring what does it mean, what is this idea kind of of truth. Anyway, this week uh, we were hearing the latest update of a project that's been underway for a couple of years called Being Human. Human. There's a podcast already on the EA website, um, but also there's a book that's coming out uh, called Being Human. And it's speaking to today's world uh, about the situation we're in. And Peter Linus, who is one of the authors of that book, um, he talked about this moment in our culture being like a Jenga moment. So, uh, anyone familiar with the game Jenga? It's that if you've never played it before, Um, then uh, if you haven't, let me explain how it works. You've got three little small blocks of wood. They're all more or less the same size, Um, not precisely. There's three strips of wood, and then they're in 90-degree angles, perpendicular angles, and they stack up. And when it starts, you take it out of the box, and it is stable it is stable. You could put a cup of coffee on the top. Um, It is stable. But what happens during the game is that bit by bit, a piece of the Jenga block uh, gets removed. And the object is to move one and then to put it on the top. And Peter Liner said that we're in a moment in our culture after 20, 30, 40 years of playing this game of Jenga with the idea of truth, is that we're in a moment where a bit like the, the, it is actually beginning to lose its balance. And actually, if you've played this game, even though you know at some point it's going to happen, there comes that moment, doesn't there? And it still makes you jump. Even if you played it 300 times on Christmas Day. It's still that one time when it goes over, it makes you jump and the whole thing topples. We are in a cultural moment in our society, in Western society, where, where there is so much in question, uh, it's like a Jenga moment. And particularly when it comes to the idea of truth. And uh, Peter said this week, he said, uh, imagine some crime has been committed and someone goes into a courtroom And uh, they're presented, you know, before they give their evidence, what do they have to do? They have to swear, don't they? So maybe if they put the Bible aside, or the Quran, or whatever their holy book is, and they pick up their smartphone and say, I solemnly declare to tell a truth, to tell my whole truth, at least as far as it is today, So help me no one except those who agree with me. (laughs) We all know that that evidence is slightly flimsy. To tell my whole truth. So help me no one except those who agree with me. We are in a moment where we are raising a generation for whom that is the concept of truth that is being held up. So you could say, how, how arrogant of us, how uncool of us, how against the flow of us to talk about the whole truth. But as we walk through this, I want to demonstrate to you that this is exactly what our culture needs. And actually, because our brains are programmed by the internet, by Netflix, by, by all the, the nonsense. TikTok, if you know what that is. It's not a clock, it's a thing on your phone. And uh, what it, we're, we're programmed with so many things that we need to hear this. What we're going to be looking at today. You see, there is a quest for Identity. And this quest is actually, if you know about Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, this idea, the pinnacle of therapeutic practice, the, the pinnacle of psychology or whatever, is self-actualization. We've actually been programmed that the ultimate thing is that we are true to ourselves, that we are, can achieve our authentic self. I just want to be my authentic self. I want to be my true self. In fact, I want to be my best self, at least today today. And then maybe tomorrow I, could cha- I can change that. But as for today, I'm going to be my true and authentic self. And that has become our principal focus. And that's true and it's applied to our career. It's applied to our choice of life partner. It's applied to pretty much everything we do. Is that I'm a, I only love you. I only accept you. I'm only with you because you help me be my true self. Now, is this speaking anyone's language? Or is it just the world I live in? Uh, the reason the reason I'm pointing this out is because this is so it seems so obvious because we are as culture is saturated with our, this idea is that we get to define ourselves. In fact, we're even getting to the point where government, uh, even education, papers, and the, the whole um, atmosphere of the place is it's okay for a nine-year-old child to define themselves. We're saying it's okay. In fact, we're defending the rights of children to self-define. We are the most arrogant uh, culture that that we've ever known. We are the first people, we are the first society in history to say to a nine-year-old, who do you want to be? To an eight-year-old, who do you want to be? And to tell them it's okay for them to change crucial and fundamental things about themselves. This, it's gone crazy, my friends. The, the Jenga is either toppling or it's just about to. When we say to children, you know, never mind what your parents say, never mind what your community says, never mind what biology says, never mind what anything else says, just ha- who do you want to be today? We're doing an injury to the next generation when we do that, I dare suggest. So, so I know I'm, I've upset a few people already. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm not. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a case of like, sorry, not sorry. You know. <laughs> now, this isn't a new thing because as long as there's been humans, as long as there's been teenagers, there's as long as there's been adults, there's always been a quest for a true identity. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, a man called John had two sons. And uh, his sons, they didn't quite make the grade when it came to their RE, GCSE. (laughs) They didn't do too well. And a and and, and number of rabbis who were Jewish scholars, who were Jewish teachers that were gathering groups of young uh, men to follow them, uh, kind of gathering a cohort, an entourage to teach them. Uh, many of them had gone through where they lived in Capernaum and just walked straight past, didn't pay any attention to John's son. So John teaches his sons the family business, which is fishing. The older of the two brothers gets married. They settle into a normal kind of mediocre life, just an everyday life. The rabbi came and went, looked at them, and then went. And this is the context I want us to understand, that even in the first century, people needed clarity about their identity. So we're going to turn to John's Gospel and the first chapter. In the first section of John's Gospel, there is a beautiful poem that makes clear at the beginning that this book is about Jesus. He is the timeless logos, the the revealed word of God from heaven. And then it then starts talking about the testimony of John the Baptist. John was the, the baptizer, he was taking people, he had an entourage, if you like, he was like a rabbi, he had a following. We're going to pick up this story um, at the Jordan River. It says this, The next day, from verse 29 of John 1, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Let's pause there. This was Jesus' cousin, John, the baptizer, who was born before Jesus was. Hello? Yeah. And yet he's saying, one is coming after me that actually existed before me. Ha <laughs> ha. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water down by the river so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, John says. So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day, imagine the scene. John is with, uh, maybe they're just sitting on a park bench, you know, sharing a packet of Walker's Crisps, and he's there with a couple of his entourage, his followers. And, and let's read what happens next. Jesus walks past. Listen to this. So, verse 35. The following day, John was again standing. Oh, he's standing, sorry. It wasn't. Maybe he was at a bus stop. Um, <laughs> uh, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared. There's guys with him. He says, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, and one of them was Andrew, when John's two disciples heard this, they're with John, they're part of his posse. They follow Jesus. So Jesus carries on walking. Uh, he's obviously on the way somewhere. It says this, Jesus, so they, they follow Jesus. Jesus is there, and they catch up with him. They abandon John. You're, you're yesterday's news. <laughs> yeah, we're leaving you. And John's like, too right. And there's somewhere else who said, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. Right, you have mine. <laughs> I'm just here to point. So they, 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 they follow, they're they following Jesus, and I love this. Jesus looked around at them and saw them following What do you want? (laughs) I love this. Jesus said, what do you want? He asked them. They replied, Andrew and this other guy with him, they replied, Rabbi? Time to wake up, someone. (laughs) I hope that was helpful to someone. Um, They replied, Rabbi? Which means teacher. Where are you staying? Because remember, they've left John. They've seen Jesus. They turn to face Jesus. Rabbi, where are you staying? In other words, can we come with you? Thirty-nine, Verse 39, Jesus says, Come and see. I love that. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Verse 40, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Now listen to this. So they have, I don't know, have a meal together. Whatever they do. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon. So Andrew goes back away from wherever Jesus was, goes back to where maybe Simon's just repairing some nets or something. We don't know what he's doing. He goes back to him and he says... We found the Messiah. We found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brings Simon, come on Simon, to meet Jesus. And then this is where we're going to land just for a moment. Let's Let's read verse 42 together, the second part. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, or it means rock. This is the first of three calls. The first is to follow Jesus. There are other calls to be fishes of men and the first of the apostles. But in this moment, something amazing happens. Jesus makes eye contact with him. It says he looks intently at Simon. Wow, can you imagine that? One day we will see Jesus face to face. Hallelujah. Can you imagine the look in his eyes? The Messiah, the Christ, he looks intently at Simon and he sees not just a face and he sees into his very soul, right? He looks at him intently. What a moment. And he says, it's Simon now, but it will be rock. It's Simon now, but it will be rock. Hallelujah. How many of you know today, the simple message is, Jesus calls us by name. It's Simon now, but it will be Cephas. Now, any Simons in the room here? I just want to make sure I know who I'm offending. Your name doesn't really mean much. Uh, One... One historian says that the the ancient name Simon means flat nosed. Oh, it's a bit harsh, isn't it? Or it means he hears. It's not it's not it's not one of these great names like you know victory or something like that. Is anyone here called victory? What a great victory! Shaken, victory. Simon just means flat nosed. Jesus turns and looks at him intently and says, flat Flat-nosed. It will be rock. Hallelujah. Flat nose, Simon, you are going to be rock. You're going to be called Cephas. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus opens up a new identity for him. You will be Cephas. Hallelujah. He looks intently at him. You see, when we turn and face Jesus, we find, you know what? He's always looking at us. That's for somebody today. When we find ourselves, when we actually stop and turn our attention to follow Jesus, what we find is not the back of his head, but we find his face pointed towards us, calling out of us by name, who, not just who we are or who we were, but who he's made us to be. Hallelujah. And you see, Jesus knows that, that Simon is a mess. He knows that Simon is going to let him down on numerous occasions. The reason that Simon is in the Bible is to help us ordinary people like us. Because guess what? We're going to fail him. We fail him. We mess up. We speak before we think. We get things wrong. We declare things. We completely misunderstand what God is doing. We do it all the time. I thank God that Simon is in the Bible. Oh, at least there's someone who's a mess up like I am who misses opportunities like I am, that misunderstands what God's doing all the time. Oh, God, uh, thank you. I can't wait to shake his hand. Yeah. Thanks for messing up so frequently, Simon. One of those mess-ups we'll look at in a couple of weeks more, but in Luke chapter 22, there's this bit where at the Last Supper, there's a whole load of things that Jesus says that we will look at in the week of Easter, but I just want to focus on Verse 31. And I want you to notice in the conversation between Jesus and the Apostle Simon, I want you to note the use of the name. Luke is a genius in how he writes this, and this is what Jesus says. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Then he says it a third time. There's always threes with Peter, isn't there? But I've pleaded in prayer for you. What does it say? Simon, that your faith should not fail. And even as he pleased, he knows his faith is going to fail. He said that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, so after you've messed up, when you've turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, this is he uses the other name, He says, Peter, or he says, rock, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. See, Jesus Jesus looks again intently at him and says, you are rock and you're going to mess up, but you're still the rock. I'm still calling out of you who I've made you to be. That once you've repented, help the others around you, you're still the rock. As far as I see you, you are the rock. I, I'm speaking to the Simon, but I'm calling out the rock. Can I hear any men? I'm speaking to the Simon. Uh, right now, God, in his love and his wisdom and his compassion, is effectively speaking to the Simon in you, but he's calling out the rock. Amen. You will be tested, but he's calling out the one who passes the test. Hallelujah. If we go back to John's Gospel, just a few chapters later, uh, some of the I am statements of Jesus we're going to be looking at, one of those is in John chapter 10. And I want to just walk you through this, then we're going to have a think and then we're going to pray. He says this, and notice verse 1. What does it say? I tell you the truth. (laughs) Not, I've got an idea. Not, I've got an opinion. Not, I'm going to just tell you. Like, there are loads of places in the Gospels where he tells a story. There, there's a few places where he says, look, I am telling you the truth. The Greek for that is the truth. It means I'm telling you the truth. He says, I'm telling you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. Listen to this. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And this is another link back. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard, this is John's comment, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. How does he do that? I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thieves' purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life or to give them life and life abundantly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, archaeologists and historians have uh, been wondering, what what does this gate idea mean? Particularly in the the middle of a, a kind of a barren hillside, you don't have a lot of wood. There aren't many trees. But what there are, um, are loads of stones. So if you were trying to protect some sheep overnight, you would build a sheep fold and you could have it like a stone sheep fold. Um, but there's no kind of stainless steel hinges, right? And to make a gate, like you get at being Q. Um, so many have said that they, actually they would build this thing. And look, if we have the picture, um, that, that, that there may be some, something to hold open what is a gate. But then in the middle you have, see, this portrayal of the shepherd kind of filling the gap in the wall. And by filling the gap in the wall, there's this idea of what Jesus is saying is that I am the gate, and the sheep are safe because nothing goes in and out of that gap in the wall uh, unless it's like over his body. And so he knows his sheep and his sheep know him, but also he is the gate. Jesus is saying, I'm the gate. And what does that mean for us to kind of in, in Watford in 2023? It means a lot to us because the things that we need to know from Jesus, our shepherd, is three things. We need to know that we are known. Uh, uh, amazingly, farmers uh, even now have, a, have the ability to me- to remember. Their livestock. You could have a hundred uh, head of cattle, and many, many farmers would know whether that was one of their cows or not. Not because there's some barcode on them or, or number, but they would just know. Shepherds know their sheep. They either by the tiny little nick on their ear or by the shape of their body, they know their sheep. And so Jesus uses now he knows he knows who we are. But not only that, he, he, he knows that we know his voice. That there's a, a relationship here is that the sheep who are in his fold respond to his voice and hear it. There are three things. While Jesus is there, I'm just going to go through them quickly. I am known, I am loved, and I am safe. Let's say that together. I am known, I am loved, and I am safe. When I am in the presence of Jesus, I'm aware he's looking attentively at me, and I'm looking at him, and I know his voice. He calls me by name. Hallelujah. He calls you by name. He knows your name. He calls you by name to be in his presence. And in his presence, you are known, including all the rubbish and what you did last night. And you are loved all the same. But in his presence, you are also safe. Hallelujah. In verse 10, he says this The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A thief comes to steal, that says, You're not not who you were. Or even to steal our dignity. Do you remember what you did when you were 15? Do you remember what happened? Do you remember that thing? Remember that mistake you made? The, The thief loves to steal away our confidence. Our security. He loves to remind us of all the rubbish we've done, all the rubbish we've watched, all the rubbish we've read. He wants to remind us all the time, trying to steal away all the time. That's what he does. He's the thief. He steals, he steals, he steals. You're not what you were. You're, you're spoiled spoilt goods. You're rubbish now. You're spent, you're over. He comes to, th- to kill, and basically to kill our hope, to kill our prospects, to kill our future. And he says, you're going to come to nothing. Your life is going to come to nothing. Your career is going to come to nothing. Your family is going to come to nothing. Your attempted living right is going to come to nothing. The thief comes and he tries to kill. And then he says to lay it all off, he says, and you are finished. The thief says, you are finished. You might as well give up. That's what the thief does. He comes in and he tries to steal us, to kill us and destroy us. But listen to this. Jesus came that we might have a rich and satisfying life. And that is a life for all eternity. Amen. Hallelujah. That's a life beyond the hospice. That is life beyond the, whatever happens That when the Lord takes it, He's taking us home for eternity. Yes. That's a rich and satisfying life. Because of his resurrection, we can have a rich and satisfying life. There's no rich and satisfying life outside of the fold. Hello? In his presence, with him as our shepherd, with him as the gate, we are safe. So we can say, in the presence of Jesus, I can say, you are known, you are loved, and you are safe. When I think about all the names I've been called over the last 28 years since I was born, I'm going to just go with that. (laughs) Liar! (laughs) It's a bit longer than that. Um, Some of the names I can't repeat. This is on the internet and it'd be harmful. But when I first came over, we first... I first went to an English school. I was born in America. I came over with an American accent. Um, I was all called all sorts of things uh, around Yank. (laughs) Weirdly, when I went back to America to see my American relatives, I was called a Limey. So Yank, so it wasn't really, I had all sorts of names. Uh, One year, my grandma unhelpfully or helpfully sent me a, a winter coat. We didn't have a lot of money when my dad left the Air Force, and she sent uh, as a Christmas present this this huge package, and out of it came this massive orange coat that was like two sides too big for me, (laughs) and it was bright orange, and uh, it was from the Denver Broncos. But I grew up in, in Suffolk, in kind of south Norfolk at the time, and they just called me Broncos, Oh, Broncos! Because it had across a, a the back, not very subtle. America's not subtle, is it? Broncos, like of this huge thing. Oh, Broncos! You Yank, you know. My parents, because I sucked my thumb a long time into my childhood, they called me Sucky Thumb or Linus. Remember that from Snoopy? All these names. They, they since apologized. Look, there's no hard feeling. Mum and Dad, I love you. My grandma called me Timmy, but. I've been called some other names. I've had job titles. But I know, under God, that the name that my parents were inspired to give me is the name that heaven calls me, and that is Timothy, which means honoring God. So the world can call me whatever it likes. You can call me whatever you like. But he calls me one who honors him. He calls me Timothy. In a similar way, and it's different for each and every one of us, we're each unique. There have been things that have been spoken over us, said over us, said to us. There have been names we've been called. I tell you that those names are so insignificant compared to who he calls you to be. Hallelujah. Because he calls you by name. He knows you're Simon, but he calls out rock, rock, And I want to encourage you today, as we come into land with this message, I want you to encourage you today that you are known and you are loved and you are safe. So stop trying to identify yourself without reference to the one who made you and who saved you. Stop trying to create your identity. Discover your identity in Christ. Hallelujah. Stop trying to manufacture something without reference to the one who created you. And he calls out of you, not who you were, but who you will be. Hallelujah. That's the word for someone today. Look at him and see that he is looking intently. Hallelujah. He's looking intently at you today and he calls out who he's made you to be. Hear Him call your name. This series is called The Whole Truth. And yet we have a broken identity. Without Christ, we have a broken identity. The shame, the regrets, the name calling, the bullies, the neglect, being overlooked the rubbish on the internet, the stupid, stupid, idiotic comments of people on social media, the rubbish we filled our heads with through streaming platforms, on the internet, through what we read, the things that have just flooded our mind, they have actually, they have broken our sense of identity. But I want to tell you today... So This is about discovering in Jesus the whole truth. And the truth about you, the truest thing that anyone ever said about you is not that you are who you say you are, but you and I are who he says we are. Yes. Hallelujah. And he says you're mine. And he says you're known. And he says you are loved. And he says you are safe. Amen. I wonder if Tim, if you could come up and just create a context with music for us to make some kind of response? Would would we be able today to turn and fix our eyes on Jesus? Because he really knows us and he really loves us. And when our job titles will change, he'll still know us. He'll still love us and we're still safe. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Just want to say this without any intention to embarrass, but Rose, I just want to say over you your name. Rose, can I just... Your name's not an accident. There is... Something's still yet to open in your life, Rose. That's so beautiful, so colorful, so awesome. There's there's something really amazing that God's doing in your life right now. And the best is still to come. And the winter is gone. And there's a time when the life and the color and the vivid beauty of who God's made you to be is coming to life. And as your church family, I, I just, in this context, I'm not trying to embarrass you. Just, I think you need to hear this affirmation, the presence of your church family. Just know that he's not finished with you yet. And the stuff that's been hidden in that bud is coming to life. And I prophesy that and I pray over that in Jesus' name. Just, just, just put a hand on her and just, just pray for her right now. Um, young man in the middle here with the glasses, yeah. Can you just stand up so I, can, I can't see because of the lights? Um, no, no, here. Sorry, yeah, the one with the, the clear glasses. What's your name? Craig. Craig, I believe the Lord would say to you today that you're an armor bearer. That actually God has is, God is given you some strengths that um, are going to enable you to follow just behind people of influence. Uh, So people who will have authority and responsibility, you might not be the top dog, but you might be someone who comes alongside as like an armor bearer uh, and God's going to align you with someone or something or some people. I don't know, I don't know, but you need to weigh this. But I believe the Lord's saying, Craig, that you are called to be someone who is strong and brave. And to be like an armor bearer for someone else. And even if you don't get the glory, do it anyway. Even if no one recognizes it or celebrates it or whatever, I believe the Lord would say to you today do it anyway. Just be faithful, do it. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and you'll find yourself in rooms that otherwise you wouldn't be in. Be like, how did I get here? The reason is because Jesus has called you there, He's invited you there. So keep your heart right, keep your ego in check, keep your pride humbled. And the Lord's going to take you in places I believe he's going to do amazing things through you. I just saw that as we were praying earlier, and I just felt I needed to say that again. So what if a couple people around could just pray while we sing this song? Uh, just pray for Craig. God, we pray your blessing. And Lord, we thank you. This is you. Lord, you pick us all out because you're a good God. And we want to say in your presence, Lord, would we hear your voice and see your face? Because we are who you say we are. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Bring healing, bring restoration, bring hope. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or by joining us on Sundays at 9am and 11am in person and online.